All right, so um, first thing, I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 18, in just one verse, well, two, verses 21 and 22. So I'll give you a second to, uh, if you want to flip there, I, it's going to be up on the screen too, but you get extra heaven bonus points if you brought your Bible. Anyway, yeah, you get a special sticker on your crown. It's pretty cool. Anyway, um, that's not true at all. Anyway. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So, a little fun story. Side note about this story, right? Is it supposed to be a hyperlink? It's supposed to help you remember something that happened earlier in the Bible, okay? So, in Genesis, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, right? There's a story of this guy named Lamech, all right? Or Lamech, or however you want to say it. Or Lamech, if you want to be like proper Hebrew, right? And what he said is, if Cain... Right? His, his grandfather Cain slew Abel and the Lord put a mark on him and said, I curse anyone, you know, I curse anyone that, that kills him, right? He says, well then 77 times more for me, right? And so in the, in the narrative of, of Genesis, Lamech is like the archetypal bad guy, Right? He's, he's the first real instance we see of somebody bragging about killing people. He's the first instance we see of like, like uh, multiple wives. Right, So he's like greedy and lustful. Right, He's not a great person. And here Jesus is kind of referencing that. Even if your brother is Lamech, who was 77 times worse than Cain who slew Abel, then you should forgive him. That's pretty intense, right? So tonight we're going to talk about hurt and forgiveness. Which is uh, always a fun topic, right? But before we get into that, I want to talk about some hurt and forgiveness that, uh, that my wife had to go through. Um, because she's married to me, and I'm kind of a doofus, right? So, uh, we got the picture of my wife up there somewhere. Um, anyway, there she is. She's beautiful. I look like a dummy, but, uh, but she's hot. And, um, yeah, anyway. We have a saying, godly hot, why not, right? I was like, she's godly, she's hot, why not date her? And it worked, right? I wish. It didn't actually work out like that. So I am just a a walking miracle, right? Not because of some medical thing or anything like that, but because I am married. That's the miracle about me. One, there's nothing appealing about this physique, right? Right? Unless you're like some kind of NGO and you want to feed starving people, then you take pictures of me, right? Like... Even Ethiopians would be like, give that guy a sandwich, man. Like, he needs it, right? I'm not appealing. I have the social acumen of, I don't know, a thumb. Like, I'm just not skilled in social situations. You know, I might be on the spectrum somewhere. Who knows, right? I'm just, you know. And then I'm about as emotionally in touch as a cactus. Like, I just don't have that, like, I will feel something. And uh, my friends call me Spock, right? Because I'm just like... There's some kind of emotion going on, and I'm not clear on what it is, you know? Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's super annoying. Anyway, so um, the first three times I met my wife, I don't remember, okay? <laughs> right? You want to talk about batting a thousand, right? So, like, most people start on zero. I'm starting negative three, right? 
So the way she tells it, I don't, I remember instances, okay, I'll I'll just go into it, right? So the way she tells it is that um, there was, I I was volunteering with a high school ministry called Young Life at the time. I was going to community college in Dallas, another mark against me, right? Winner community college. Anyway, um, it's not cool community college, like that TV show that had that, that guy from the thing, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that kind. It was really lame. Anyway, so we had no dean that would dress up in weird things. Anyway, so I'm going to community college and I'm volunteering with this high school ministry, right? And we have a meeting and I'm late to it, of course, because I'm late to everything. And um, my mom's Mexican, so, you know, shout out. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Man, manana. Anyway, so like we, uh, so I'm like 20 minutes late and I'm working full time. So I had to pick up some dinner and in Dallas, there's this weird restaurant that is a Taco Bell and KFC combined, right? It's like the Holy Grail, man. I thought I had found the promised land. I'm like, Lord, come and get me. Amen. You know, I'm just pumped, right? And the number 22, I remember this, and that's sad. The number 22, you get three crispy beef tacos and three chicken strips for $4.99. Who doesn't get that? All right, if you don't get that, just leave. Just leave now. There's no hope for you. Ivan, sit down. Anyway, okay. So I'm like overjoyed. I got a strips, chicken strips and tacos combo meal, right? And so I walk into this meeting 20 minutes late. I'm like, guys, you can get chicken strips and tacos, right? And apparently my wife was at that meeting. And I sat next to her talking about strips and tacos the whole time. Everyone else is talking about how to win souls for Jesus. And I'm just talking about how good chicken strips and tacos are, right? And she distinctly remembers going, this guy is an idiot. Okay? And then apparently we met two more times after that. Right? And then somehow she decides to go on a date with me. Right? All I remember is seeing her walk into a Bible study at our church. Right? Because in my mind, I was just, it was strips and tacos and, and, you know, I don't remember anything else. But... I remember her walking into a Bible study meeting, and that's the place to meet girls, guys. All right? I'm just saying. Anyway, so she's that in, like, major in, in like, elementary education. But anyway, so. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so I remember she walked in, and I was like, wow, she's really pretty. And she's here for Bible study on Sunday morning before service. Godly, hot. Why not? Right? So I did, I did the mature thing, and I looked on the sign-up sheet where she put her contact info and got her phone number off of that. So all the ladies right now are thinking, that's husband material. Doesn't remember her three times in a row, right? Anyway, it all worked out. We have five kids. It's all good, right? Another time, this was early on in our dating, right? And remember, social acumen of like a thumb toenail thing, you know, like I'm just dumb, right? So I don't, anyway, so I, uh, you remember when I talked about me not understanding like emotions, right? That also goes with like people, if you're trying to be subtle with me, like it's just not going to work. Like if you're trying to say something, write it on a rubber mallet and then hit me with it and then I'll get the point, okay? So my wife was like, You know, she was like doing, she was my girlfriend then, right? And we're talking on the phone and I can tell she's annoyed, right? I'm just, I just can't figure out why. And, and she's like, I'm like, are you okay? She's like, I'm fine. (laughs) 
okay? Hey, if you haven't figured this out yet, when a girl says she's fine, she is not fine, okay? That is not okay. Are you okay? I'm okay. You're not okay. That's what that means. You're not okay, right? It's opposite land when girls say those things. Anyway, so me, I'm exhausted. I don't have the energy to try and like emotionally figure out what she's really saying. And so I do this really dumb thing. And I say, well, relationships are built on trust. So if you say you're fine, you're fine. And I hang up. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Right there. Guess what she's never said again. I didn't call her for 24 hours. Hey, look, look. We have a wonderful marriage. I've learned. We're not like stuck there, okay? It's good. You can ask her, you know? It's all right. It's all right. So, I've done some dumb things, all right? My wife had to forgive me of some stuff, right? And because she forgave me, now she's married to me, which, depending on how you look at it, you know, plus or minus there. Anyway, um, but we have... A happy family and, you know, we don't get to sleep anymore because we have five children. But anyway, um, so um, relationships are fun, right? They're kind of scary. Um, But here's some groundwork that I want to lay before we dive into this topic, okay? Um, The Garden of Eden makes it clear that we're made to live in relationship, right? And not just relationship, but a deep, meaningful relationship, okay? And every human heart is searching for that. You can look at anything, and it's man searching for relationship, okay? Sometimes it's relationship with some kind of ethereal philosophy or concept of God. Sometimes it's relationship with other people. But we feel this drive in us deeply to be in relationship, okay? And it's not, it, it's not just a surface thing, right? Um, and in relationship, the number one cause of hurt is unmet expectation, Okay, we say unmet expectation always causes frustration. Unmet expectation always causes frustration. Okay, and do you know what the number one cause of unmet expectation is? Unexpressed expectation. Have you ever been in that situation, you know, like where somebody's mad at you and you have no idea why? It's usually because they expected you to do something and you didn't do it, but they didn't tell you. Right? Or have you ever been that person? And you, you kind of have one of those moments where you're like, I'm mad at them for not doing the thing that I never told them I wanted them to do. You know what I'm saying? And you're kind of like a crazy person at that point. Right? So unmet expectation is the number one cause of hurt in relationships. And then there's this intensifier thing, right? There's this concept that we, we say like grief is proportional to intimacy. Meaning, the closer you are to someone, the more deeply they can hurt you. Okay? So, like, if I'm walking down the street and somebody goes, Hey, Scroggins, you're a jerk. And I'm like, you're probably right. Yeah, thanks, buddy. And then I go about my day, no big deal. Right? But if my wife says, Hey, you're being a jerk. Then I have to stop and think, Wow. Whoa, she's saying that? I need to listen. I need to pay attention. So some of the deepest wounds and deepest hurts you've had are from the people that are closest to you, right? Maybe they're mad at you for not meeting an expectation, or maybe you had an expectation of them and they didn't meet it. 
And these are people that are close to you. They're supposed to be the nicest people. They're supposed to be the, the people that build you up. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're getting stabbed in the back. Right? Everybody with me? Okay. So here's the most verifiable fact in the universe. Right? The world is broken. Right? Newsflash. Um, Malcolm Muggeridge, he's one of my favorite authors. He says, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. Right? So what he's saying is, everyone knows that man is depraved. Man is broken. Right? That people will hurt you. But for some reason, intellectually, we don't want that to be true. Does that make sense? Because we don't want to think of ourselves in those terms. Right? Um, I remember when I was working uh, in the Czech Republic, we were doing a survey one time, and uh, I talked to this Czech student, and we asked him, um, uh, what do you think is wrong in the world? What do you think is wrong with the world? And he said, selfishness. Yeah, man. Selfishness. That's right on. And then we asked him, uh, what do you think the meaning of life is? And he was like, I don't know, just be happy, make yourself happy. He like didn't think about that. So what he said is selfishness is the problem, but it's also the meaning, right? And with that attitude, hurt is going to be a fact of life, right? Everyone is broken. You're going to get hurt and you're going to get hurt by the people closest to you, okay? And I find it super interesting that Jesus never teaches us how to avoid hurt. Did you ever catch that? In all the Gospels, nowhere does he talk about how to avoid being hurt. But what he does talk about is how to deal with the hurt you will encounter. Does that make sense? So, um, like we know, God's laws aren't arbitrary, right? They're descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. So when God says something, it's like describing gravity, you know? Like, you don't break the law of gravity, the law of gravity breaks you. So when you ignore what God said, you do so at your own peril. Right? And so, this is where we need to dive in to what Jesus is talking about when he talks about forgiveness. Okay? So, we're going to talk about the cycle of hurt and bitterness. So, what do we do? What happens if we don't forgive after we're hurt? Okay? After you get hurt and you don't forgive, we all have this instinct in us, right? God isn't dumb, so he made his creation to want to, I don't know, survive, right? So we want to protect ourselves from being hurt. And so the first thing we do is we build walls, right? We start to build walls around us and disengage from the source of the hurt, so sometimes that's our parents, sometimes that's friends. But we begin to pull back and withdraw. Right? It's normal and natural to a certain degree. Right? But at some point, some point it becomes problematic if we don't forgive. Okay? Just like, just like it's okay if you bump up against like a cactus or something, you like pull away from it. Right? That's a natural thing. Right? But then to refuse to go outside ever again because one time a cactus pricked you, you got some mental issues, right? Okay. So once you get hurt and you begin building those walls and begin pushing people away and keeping people out, 
something shifts in your being. Something shifts in your personality. And so the stubborn person, you know, if you're either fight or flight, right? The stubborn person will say, the fight person will say, one way or another, you're going to know how much I hurt. Right? They want to fight. I'll show you how hurt I am by driving you all away. Right? And the flight person will get sulky and says, I, they don't even care that I'm hurting, do they? Right? And they begin to retreat in themselves. Either way, walls go up. And what happens here, that shift that happens, is that you begin to allow the hurt to determine how you interact with others. And hurt, that hurt, that little thing that hurt you, becomes your master. Right? At this point, we call that bitterness. This is when you become bitter. Okay? And if you refuse to forgive, and you continue down this path, the next thing that happens to you is you start openly rebelling. Okay? Since you're slaves to your hurt, right? Since, you're, since your hurt is your master, you, you fear being hurt again above all else. Right? And you are so afraid of being hurt that you're willing to hurt others to keep yourself safe. Right? So you start to push away anyone that reminds you of the one that hurt you. Right? If your parents hurt you, then you'll drive away all authority figures. Okay? If your family hurts you, then you're like, I don't need family. I'll make it on my own. I'm a loner. I'm strong. Right? If your friend hurts you, then you'll drive, drive away anyone that begins to get close to you. You've met these people. Some of you may be these people. Right? So we build the walls around us, and now we create weaponry to keep people away. Does that make sense? Okay. And then, once you have the walls, and you have the weaponry on top of the walls, you start to get lonely. Because remember, you're made for relationship. And that gnawing, nagging need that God created in you never goes away. And so then, you begin to look for people to congregate with. Right? I call this phase bad company. So, you seek out, quote-unquote, safe friends. Okay? So, what typically happens is you begin to bond. You know, what happens is, like, you typically bond with people with similar experiences, you know? And so... Like, the deeper the commonality, the deeper your relationship can be. Does that make sense? The deeper the commonality, the deeper the relationship can be. And so when, you're, when there's hurt people, the deepest commonality is that hurt. Right? And you, your heart, your soul longs for a deep relationship. So you begin to bond with people that have been hurt just like you. So you get around others and you're like, oh, yeah, my dad did that too. Oh, yeah, my dad was like that too, man. You know what I'm talking about? So then what, what happens is this, this kind of cyclical groupthink where you reinforce each other's faults. Right? You've created an echo chamber for yourself and you're reinforcing bad habits, self-destructive habits. You justify your actions by comparing yourselves to one another. And then you begin to reaffirm each other. It's okay you treated that person bad. They don't understand what you've been through. Does that make sense? 
So you find your community in this group of people that are enslaved to the same hurt that you are. And then the really scary part is that that group, I mean, it has to stay safe. So you want to keep other people out, right? And so for another person to make it into the group, they have to prove that they belong, right? They have to have the street cred. Well, how do I know you've been hurt like me? Prove it. I don't want to get hurt again. You have to prove to me, right? And the feedback loop begins. And all the things you've done to cope with your hurt, you begin to flaunt in front of the group because now you have to prove it. Does that make sense? And so all these things like driving people away, showing the world how tough you are or how strong you are, all of these things, they begin to just intensify in this period because you've created, created your own echo chamber. Right? And then, at this point, you've hit the end of the road. This is the horrible, bitter end. Now, you've become the very thing that you sought to protect yourself from. Someone that hurts people. At this point, you've become a monster. You've ingrained habits in yourself that make you a terrible person. Right, so well, there's this progression. I'm sure you've heard this before, but thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to habits, and habits lead to character. And your character that decides your destiny. Did you catch that? Your thoughts lead to actions. Your actions lead to habits. Your habits become your character, and your character determines your destiny. So now, because you haven't forgiven, and you've built up walls, and you've driven people away, and you only let in people that are like you and will reinforce what you already believe and what you already think and feel, now you've developed habits. And now these habits are becoming your character. And so all these actions that you use to keep yourself safe, that that hurt has enslaved you to, now you're stuck with. So, uh, you see this over and over in, you know, in the world. Have you ever met that, have you ever, I don't know, if you've ever done like street evangelism, you know, just been out on the street and evangelizing the people, you always meet that one guy that's like just a drunk. He's just completely drunk, right? And it, it's always interesting to me, side note, that, that drunks always want to talk about God. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, um, so like you meet that guy that's a drunk and he's stumbling around and he's like, my dad was an alcoholic. I hated him. It's that guy. He's become the very thing that he hates. So, because you become the monster that you sought to protect yourself from, you begin to hurt other people. And you kick off the whole cycle all over again. In Hebrews 12.15 it says, See to it that no one fails short of the grace of God, falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. 
That's what they're talking about. So in this whole scenario, Jesus is not your king like he rightfully should be. Jesus should be your king because he's the only one worthy of it. But your bitterness leads to your desires for protection and safety becoming your master. Your bitterness leads to hurt ruling over you. And that's a cruel master. Because once you begin to become a monster, you just drive everyone away and you end up alone. So, how do you get out? What's the way to stop this cycle of insanity? Well, Jesus said it, remember? Forgiveness. It's that simple. Just forgive. An amazing, like, profound things don't have to be complicated. You just forgive. But some of you in here may be thinking, you know, Scroggins, you don't know nothing about nothing. You don't know how I've been hurt. And you're right, I don't. Some of you may be just overwhelmingly burdened by the baggage you have, by the hurt you have. And it's going to affect every relationship you have. And you're lugging these around. And you're like, I... You don't know. It's, it's overwhelming, the pain I've been through. You're right. I don't. Because I'm not you. But there's always a way to forgive. I can tell you some practical things that I've found. You know what the first step in forgiveness is? The very first step in forgiveness is thankfulness. Thankfulness. I don't care how bad your mom was. I don't care how bad your dad was. You can be thankful for something. You're here. Right? I don't care how bad that friend was to you. There's something you can be thankful for. And there's something spiritually powerful about thankfulness. There's something just powerful about it because... What happens when you say thank you to someone? You're humbling yourself. You're saying, I couldn't do this without you. If you had not done that for me, I would not be where I am. That's what thankfulness says. And I, you know, I had a a rough home life. I did. It wasn't great. But I'm still thankful. And I tell my parents that every time. Every time I see them, I'm thankful for them. Because I had food in my mouth, I had clothes on my back. That's, that's something. And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be some grandiose thing. Just something little that changes your posture and alters the way that your heart feels towards them. And that little just crack in the door the Holy Spirit can use. And then he can rush in and give you the forgiveness the power to forgive that you need. Does that make sense? Being thankful is removing that first stone out of the wall you built. Being thankful is running the surrender flag up in that little castle that you're hiding in. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. So sometimes what I like to do is... um, I don't like to do. That's weird. Anyway, um, 
Sometimes what I've done is I've written a list of all the ways that someone has hurt me. Hurt me. I just wrote them down and then I burned it. And then I wrote down a list of all the things that I was grateful for about that person and I kept that. Just try it. If you, if you don't want every one of your relationships to end in a train wreck, this is the first step. Let go of the baggage you're carrying around. It's also interesting to me that if you really think about it, this is the way that Jesus overcame evil. One of my favorite authors, his name is E. Stanley Jones, he says this, says, many philosophers speculate on how evil entered the world. Jesus presents himself as the way by which it shall leave. This is how you overcome evil in the world. You forgive. Jesus sat on the cross and died and suffered. And he simply swallowed up the wickedness and all the evil and all the wrongs and forgave. If grief really is proportionate to intimacy, if that is true, then how much grief do we cause God? How much do we pain the heart of God who knows the number of hairs on your head, has cherished every day that you've been alive? He's so good. He sends his reign on the, on the wicked and the righteous all the same. He's never had a bad intention toward anyone on earth. He's wanted nothing but the best for all of you. And we hurt him. Because grief is, is proportionate to intimacy. He knows you and loves you deeply, and yet every day we wound him a thousand times, and he forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives, and he's grateful for you. So if you want true Christ-like power, you forgive. You want to see evil overcome in the world? You want to see justice be done on the earth? Forgive the way you've been wronged. Forgive. So this is the highest Christ-likeness, is to forgive those that hurt you. Bless those that persecute you. And love your enemies. And by this, you shall be called sons of God. So as the band comes up, I think there's a couple categories that we can kind of fit into. Some of us, we really do just need to be thankful for people. Some of us are carrying around hurts. And look, it's just going to sabotage every relationship you're in. Because you haven't forgiven. You're bitter. And that root of bitterness you know, I've heard it's, been, heard it's been said that bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right? So some of us are holding that cup and we just, you know, we just downed it. And we're like, yeah, you're going to pay. Ow, my stomach hurts, right? So some of us, we need to let go of that. We need to forgive. Right? So I want to tell you the altars are open. You can come up here, and all you need to do is get on your knees and tell God what you're thankful for the other person for. It's so simple. I dare you to do it. 
than others, maybe we're, we're kind of realizing how much we've really hurt God and how much we've wounded him. You know, in the book of Revelation, there's, a, there's some pretty profound stuff. It's not just all crazy dragons and beasts and stuff, right? Um, but it, it's interesting to me that the angel speaking to John, and he says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John turns and he sees a lamb, a slain, innocent lamb. Because Jesus is innocent. He's never been bitter towards you. He's never been angry towards you. But he has been hurt by you. And he doesn't deserve it. And we need to make amends. In all that pain, he'll swallow up in forgiveness. And if you allow him, he will give you the strength to overcome wickedness on this earth by forgiveness. So some of you need to come up and you need to forgive. And others, I believe the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you need to come up and be forgiven. So let's pray.